All right. We are digging deeper this evening. It's good to see many of you here. Um, so let's just jump right into it. Hi, Rochelle. How are you? Good. Your week go? Good? Good? It's not what I heard on Facebook. I'm teasing. That's teasing. What are some applications, observations? In fact, we'll go ahead and just click that, which I know is a little ahead of time. We'll put the text up there for you. Um, some observations, insights that you took away from the study this morning. Um, hopefully, I'm not sure, do we have runner mics at all? Um, anyone here willing to get that going? I think, I think, Luke, the mics are behind the wall over here. So until those mics are hot and hot and ready. How many here remember hot and ready pizza? Huh? Man, I did not, I haven't really eaten yet today. So everything's going to push me that direction. All right, dollar a slice pizza, nineteen ninety three. It was good, um, and it was hot, and it was ready. Was that what it was called, hot and ready? No, speedy, speeds pizza, spads pizza, speedy and it doesn't matter. I'll do your announcement later. Observations, things, but do remind me. Observations, things that maybe you learned, insights. And before we get the mics good and ready, if you talk, just talk nice and loud. Anything, anyone to bring up observations, applications, anything at all to kind of refresh our memories? Raise your hand if you got one. Yes, um, Jeff. Oh, here comes Jeff. This off. No, this is Luke. Oh, I know. Well, okay. Um, when he went to, what was his name? The, the eunuch? Uh, Ethiopian? Yeah, eunuch. eunuch. Yep. Yeah. That, that was his name. You oh, nailed I didn't it. know if it was his name. Yeah. Okay. Um, in their mind, there was nobody further away that they shouldn't talk to mm-hmm. than this guy right here. Yeah. They would you know, share the gospel with, but you know, they mm-hmm. told him to take the road, and, and uh, he thought it was crazy at the time that he did it, and then it's rewarded. Yep. So it reminds me, it's like when I look at somebody... Maybe I shouldn't be judging anything. Amen. Amen. That's epiphany for a Baptist. Congratulations. That's good. Um, we got one over here, and then we have Sherry on the flip side of that. Yes. Okay, well, look at, we talked about how Philip was taking the end of the earth road. Uh-huh. But we were wondering about how the, the Ethiopian, who was supposed to be such a trusted person of the queen was allowed to take such a long journey away from the con- his country mm. so that he was in the proper place to be there for Philip. Am mm-hmm. I answer? Are you, would you I'm like an curious, answer? Yes. Cause it's, it's airtight. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know that scripture is silent. Um, but it's interesting conversation to think what behind the scenes, uh, brought this sovereign appointment to come. It's an excellent question, and it gives us really good speculation that allows God's word to become uh, savory in that way. Um, Sherry, did you get a mic? No? All right. Come on, guys. Let's go. No, I'm teasing. All right, and then I think, Paul, did you have your hand up? Okay, so Sherry, then Paul, and then I, Luke, tell me how many steps you have at the end of the night. I noticed uh, verse 27, so he got up and went. Because I would rather sit down and soak. Yeah, pray about it. 
pray about it. Yes, I pray about it. Um, Paul's over here. Now, I thought it was interesting earlier, Philip, when he was in Samaria, he had these, these converts who had not received the Holy Spirit. So here comes the two apostles to come lay their hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. We don't hear anything about that here. Do we hear any more about that in the future, or is that that's pretty much done? No, that, we will see it with... I can't quite remember, but I thought that was interesting. Cornelius, and we'll see it with the Apostle Paul. Yeah, because here we have this guy. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Did he receive the Spirit? Probably. Yes, yes. I would say yes. It's just not included in the text. And we have Don over there, but excellent point. One thing was, uh, you know, Philip never took time to put the eunuch through pre-baptismal counseling. <laughs> I thought, <God. clears throat> hey, there's water. I've always, ta- I've, you know, I've always been in, in, impressed by that in that passage of Scripture. And to Jeff's point, the ground is level in front of the cross. Amen. Ground is level, which really ties into what you said, Jeff. You know, maybe we shouldn't be judging any, anyone like that. And it's level. And that is so true, just a practical truth. Sometimes I think, sometimes, most often, we complicate God's will for our lives in his, his commands in our lives and his desire for our lives. You know, the 13-week baptismal class because we can't baptize anyone who doesn't have at least scratching the surface of a Ph.D. and baptistic theology. And uh, I love the simplicity of that. I saw, I saw, I saw a hand. Right here. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Let's prepare. No, I, go ahead, brother. I, I saved, uh, I saved our friend some steps here, so that's why he just handed it over to me. Nice. Uh, but I noticed that Philip got all his steps in. I mean, he went south on the southbound road, took the old road uh, down. Uh, 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 old Gaza in the ruins. Gaza, old Gaza way. Yep. And then what I noticed was particular was he went, I looked up what Azostas means, okay. and it's, this, it's where Ashdod is today. Uh, and that was a Philistine city, and then up to Caesarea, which is 56 miles north of that. Mm-hmm. So as when he went down, he was basically called to go to meet this guy. Yeah. And on his way back, he went through the cities. Uh-huh. So I, I think the thing is, is that when when God tells us to go, it's not going to look particularly fruitful. But you go, mm-hmm. and then when he when he's done, then you do what makes sense, which is. Yeah. All the cities on the other road. And that, that actually leads into a very good point about um, the efficiency of God's will from our perspective. And it, interesting enough, we don't hear from Philip anymore for another couple decades. And he actually makes his home in Caesarea. And he has four daughters who all become prophetess. So, um, but we'll, we'll catch up with Philip in chapter 22, which will be a couple decades from now. Anyone else? Observations, applications. Yes, we have Doc Emily over here. Did you bring your prescription pad by chance? No? Shoot. Uh, So, actually, there's two points I got. Uh, Well, maybe two points and a question. Emily. Oh, closer. Two points and a question. Oh, that's scary. Uh, Is that the Ethiopian had gone to worship, and so the Lord was preparing his heart. And the other point was that he was fixated on this verse of scripture, and that's what Philip discusses with him. 
he doesn't take him off topic to present the gospel in the way he wants to present it and in the way that's been successful before. He meets this man with the burning questions that he has, and he uses the scripture that he's inquired about. And so the other um, question that I have, so if we're in a desert and these two guys see water, wow, I mean, was that a miracle? It doesn't sound to be. There's speculation in my reading, speculations of what watering hole it could possibly have been, Mm -hmm. but it certainly was um, divinely appointed. We'll go that. It's providential. How's that? Would be my best answer. Anyone else? Observations, applications. Going, oh, we have. 63% of Ethiopia is Christian today. The largest in the continent of Africa. Wow. I didn't know that. I had <laughs> heard it was 62%, but... Yeah, no, that's good. That, amen. That's great. Anyone else? I actually have a quick question sure. uh, or an observation. We spent most of our time on the Ethiopian, which I think is the meat of the text, of course. Um, but what's surprised me is when reading this again, um, verse 39, that the Lord snatched Philip away mm-hmm. and how that experience took place. Yeah, very true. Thank you, Luke. Anyone else? Going once. We have communion tonight, so going twice. Anyone at all? All right, let's dive into this here. Um, For our purposes tonight, we are going to focus uh, on just kind of a portion of this passage. So we're going to kind of boil some of this stuff away and we're going to concentrate on verses 26 through 31. And the application, or the, the... that's going to be very practical, all right? We may not be teasing the very depths of our intellectual tassels, but um, very practical application from this that we didn't really get to touch on too much this morning. Um, so let's start out with this. And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south, and let that all fill in from this morning, to a road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. I know there's two roads. I want you to take the second road. That is the desert road. So he got up and went. And as we studied this this morning, the direction to head and the instruction to head into the, the desert at noon was, uh, really highlights the unusual nature of this request. And, and not only just unusual, but just the sovereign, the sovereign control over this moment. Yet Philip was sensitive to the Lord's leading. I want you to describe that, sensitive to the Lord's leading. And certainly the Lord's leading here was out of the box, all right? Now, we like to systematically classify and box in our Heavenly Father with 10 systematic theology categories. And I understand that is a very helpful and meaningful uh, way to approach it. But he is sensitive to the Lord's leading. Kent Hughes, which is more of a preacher than a than, I guess, a professor, if you will. I love his preacher's heart. He brings out an interesting point here when he says this. We must be aware of rigid suppositions. You know what? Let's go ahead and highlight uh, the passage of Scripture that we're in. And then once it gets done highlighting, let's just click it one more time, like right now. Kent Hughes says this. 
Beware of rigid suppositions as to how the Holy Spirit works and leads. We cannot assume that since God directed men in a certain way in the past, that that is the way he will do it for everyone in the future, spirit-filled. He's sensitive to the Lord's leading and not put him in a box. You know, even within my, my own life, and I've I, I got to communicate from my own experiences here, in my own uh, life and in really some pastoral circles, we as pastors have to be careful not to put God's uh, spirit or his way and his leading into a box that he must work through. For example, um, a couple years ago, they took pastor meetings that happened once a month, and they took them from Friday, and they moved them to Tuesday. And they moved them to Tuesday uh, in their meetings. And I asked them not to do that because Tuesdays are a very sacred day of preparation for me. All right, you guys already know this. It's very sacred for me. Really, Tuesdays are a non-negotiable, practical moment in my, my week. In fact, if I could give you very briefly kind of the time frame of my studies in the week. Monday, I read. I read from home. I read all day long on Monday. All right? On Tuesday, that is my, my sacred day. That's when I am in my office, oftentimes before anyone else gets here, until I am the last one here. I'm studying, I'm reading, I'm writing. It is the foundation of my entire week, Tuesdays. All right? I spend some time in prayer, and then I, I write the sermon. On Wednesdays, I study. I have staff meetings with prayer times, and I review my sermons. On Thursday, I study all day, but I take meetings as needed, and I review my sermons. Um, on Friday, all right, I do crisis management, logistics, counseling, administrations, visitations, emails, phone calls, meetings, leadership investment, and I introduce myself to the staff and then I review the sermons, and I read some more. Saturdays, I spend a little time with my family, if it's available. And then um, on Saturday evenings, Amy knows this to be true, I, I retire around 8, 9 o'clock at night, and I review my studies till 11, 12 at night. And then on Sundays, um, I come here, I teach for the day, and when I get done teaching, I seek touch points with as many people as humanly possible here at the church. And then on Monday, I start this process all over again. Now, why do I say this? Tuesday is a non-negotiable sacred time for me. Tuesday is a day by which all else, everything else is built on the week. The study of God's word and getting it prepared. Now, these pastors, well, they went ahead and they moved it to Tuesday anyway because they are not sensitive to the Spirit's leading in their lives. I'm joking. And, and they looked at me and they said, Brett, you need to spend more time uh, depending on the Holy Spirit and less time depending on your preparations. And then uh, one of my friends handed me a book on how to teach God's Word without notes and just allow the Holy Spirit to give you the words to say when you stand up in front of the people. Now, Maybe some people are very gifted at that. You are not looking at one of them, all right? I am as smart as the book I am reading at the time. It would be a miracle if I stood up in front of you and did this. Not only that, I would introduce new doctrines that you have never heard before on a consistent basis. And by the way, I reject that approach out of hand. We are to study God's word, to show ourselves approved, to be prepared to give an answer in season and out of season. However, however, can't put the Lord's leading in a box or his will in a box. In love and grace, 
uh, to my pastor friends, I really, readily concede there is a balance here, and they taught me this in my life. I must, uh, uh, de- let's see here, where I want to share here, balance here. I must depend on the Holy Spirit of God while I study to show myself approved, but to say that preparation in the pursuit of excellence is to be sacrificed in the name of allowing the Spirit to move is at best biblically reckless and spiritually self-serving. Here is my point that brings us back to Kent Hughes. Here it is. We must never confine, confine the Spirit's guidance to a box because the Holy Spirit simply does not fit into it. All right? He simply will not fit. We are to pursue excellence in the name of our Lord and submit to his will. If he leads us down a dusty road into the desert at noon, submit to the Lord's leading. If he brings you to second in command of all of Egypt, submit to his will and his leading. The best way to be spirit-filled and following the spirit of the Lord is to be in the word of God, obeying his clear instructions wherever you might be standing. So with that in mind, we'll unpack that a little bit more in a moment. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. I want to stop here for just a moment. That practical application of not putting the Holy Spirit in the box, saying the words to God, this is the way you must work in my life. If that were the case, Philip would have very well missed his divine appointment. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet. Now, this is a little ancient habit found within these verses. While what I'm about to say is not universally true because people are wired differently, just like the book of Proverbs, it is generally true, what I'm about to say. To read out loud aids in the retaining of memory. It aids in the retaining of memory of something. In fact, just a quick example. When someone gives you a telephone number, all right? When they give you a telephone number, what's usually one of the first things you try to do, even if you do it silently? Talk to me. You repeat it to yourself. You say it to yourself. It's, you know, uh, my childhood friend, Chad Goodike in Hudsonville, Michigan, who I stopped playing with when I was in fifth grade, which would be in the late no, middle 80s. His phone number was 616-669-0236. How many here want to hear a story that has nothing to do with this text? I was booking airline tickets the other day. And they said, you're about two hours in line, but there's good news. Leave a, a, a message and we will call you back. So I'm like, hey, this is fantastic. Say your name and phone number after the, after the beep. I said, my name is Brett. My phone number is 669-0236. And I hung up the phone. You remember this? And I went, <gasps> and she goes, why? I said, they're going to call my childhood friend Chad Goodike. American <laughs> Airlines is going to call, and he will not know it's from me, and that is the Spirit's leading. Now, with that being said, you repeat it. I had a, uh, I, a, a lady this week, new to the church, she said, Hi, what's my name? <sighs> you know, that's just not God's work, all right? That's not the Lord's work. And I said, I have seen you before. Um, I'm trying to point out. She goes, my name, oh, is, she, is Jeannie here today? Jeannie, God bless her. She was a wonderful lady. She said, my name is Jeannie, and I'm going to ask you next, next week. 
So guess what I did? I said Jeannie in my conversation with her about 30 times. And I now know her name. Here's the point. Reading out loud is an ancient custom. An ancient custom to help with the memory and to retain what is being read. So with that being said, I just encourage you, give it a try when you read God's word. Read it out loud. It's an ancient custom. Again, a lot of practical stuff here. I want to look at another interesting detail here um, that we didn't have time to get to this morning. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and this is going to bring up a point that Steve uh, Pauline brought up. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. Have you ever said the words, Lord, why in the world are you working this way? This is the most, or the least, I should say, the least efficient way on the planet to work. Why are you doing it this way? Why bring me down this bumpy, unwanted, unreasonable road in the heat of the day, south on the second road? And let us remember that the Ethiopian, here it is, is coming from Jerusalem. Now, we have, we have persecution going on in Israel, in Jerusalem, and all of the diaspora and Hellenistic Jews who are the easy first target of persecution flee the city, but there were 12 who stayed in the city of Jerusalem, and we know them as the what? Talk to me. The apostles. He just came from Jerusalem where the mother church, the first church was born, where the apostles are still at. All right, the apostles are still in Jerusalem. Why didn't God, to Steve and I's kind of hidden point here, why didn't God direct the apostles who were in Jerusalem, where he just came from, to share the gospel to this Ethiopian eunuch while he was in the court of the Gentiles? Much rather than, than peel, you know, Philip away from this fruitful ministry in, the, in this region of Samaria. He could have, it could have been the, the disciples who baptized Philip could have stayed, and Philip could have, I'm sorry, it could have been the disciples, all right, and Philip could have stayed in Samaria where there was more fruitful revival happening. Here, here's the fair application that comes from this. God does not work as efficiently as we would like him to work. Can I get a witness to that at all? Sometimes it just feels like the windiest road, but he's got a plan for that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. God does not work as efficiently as we would like him to work. But his work is perfect. I want you to hear this. Why am I on this road? All right, I just want to say that on an applicational level in our lives today. God has you on a road right now. Some of you, your road is smooth. It's Florida roads. Some of you are on Michigan roads right now. And they are painful and they are hurtful. I want you to hear this. God's work is not as efficient as we want it to be. But his work is perfect, and it is designed to bring him glory and to grow us into his image. Let me say that again. His work is perfect, and it is designed to transform us into his image. In fact, talking about not being efficient, and we talked about this briefly, all right? In chapter, uh, in chapter 10, Philip actually lives in Caesarea. He lives in Caesarea where the centurion will need to hear the gospel. But rather than use Philip, who lives in the city uh, where the Saturian is going to be, God sends Peter, who did not even live there. His ways are not as efficient. Uh, what's that? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought he was talking to me. No, I'm good. No coloring crayons for me. All right, I'm good. There have been times on a practical level, and every, every person who has ever been in ministry has experienced this. 
There have been times when I've been ministering to Bob, all right, air quotes Bob. I've been in Bob and Susie for years. Maybe you've experienced this too, building relationships, investing, having fellowship, teaching God's word. Then some, some hired gun comes to the church and preaches the word of God, all right? And, and Bob has an epiphany and changes his life completely and says something like this, I've never fully understood or heard that before, and I just want to give my life to Christ. And I think to myself, Bob... I have known you for years. I've invested into your life. And I've said this a million times. And this new guy comes in that you don't even know. And all of a sudden, you see it. That's the work of Satan. All right? No. God has got different ways of working. Here it is. I want to get to. Here God uses Philip on a dusty road in the desert at noon rather than the apostles in Jerusalem where he was just at. Here's my point. Here it is. God's ways are very rarely ever your way. And that's on purpose. That's on purpose. And they are not as efficient as we would want them to be. And with that in mind, let me say this one final application. This observation in truth here, that God's ways are not always as efficient as we would like them to be, here it is, is not a license for us to be unprepared. It is not a license for us to be unorganized. And it is not a license to excuse a lack of discipline. God's going to do what he's going to do. So why should I even do this? I've been around people in 25 years of ministry Good, good meaning people who will use the Holy Spirit as a means to infer that we don't need to be well prepared. You know, we've got to leave room for the Holy Spirit to work. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit going to work regardless of what your plans are. All right, I think we've all experienced that. I've seen people on the flip side of that. Okay, so let me stay on the first side of it. People will use the Holy Spirit as a means to infer that we don't have to be well prepared to pursue excellence. On the other side of that coin, there are people who are so prepared and so rigid that they refuse to allow the Holy Spirit to work outside of the preparations. And we quench it. Here's what I believe is a biblical balance. And this is for me. And so I'll speak about me with humility because I mess up a lot. And then maybe you can pick some flowers and throw away the weeds and apply what best fits for you. Every week I prepare to the very best of my ability. Many hours of study, service, worship prep, staff meetings, music discussions with Luke, announcements, staff meetings, facility, you name it. I even straighten the chairs in this room for the glory of God and not because of my OCD. Is Holly here? Yeah, she better not be. But over the years, I have resigned myself to this. And here it is. I like to take all my preparation and all my discipline and I say to the Lord, this is my offering to you. Okay? Do with it as you wish. It's yours. If things happen on Sunday or during the week, but we'll say specifically here, happen on Sunday or Maybe at camp you got everything planned. I'm sure you've experienced this. Best laid plans and then the flood comes. If things happen on Sunday that are outside of our ability to be excellent, simply give it to the Lord and say, your will be done, I'll roll with it. If it is within our ability to be disciplined in excellence, all right, with our preparation, this is also our gift to God. But here's my point. God forbid we use his presence 
as a means to justify mediocrity. God forbid we use his presence as a means to justify mediocrity or our preparation as a means to quench his desires. There's the balance. So here's the rub with all of us, all right? We cannot view ministry of the church through the lens of being an efficient American corporation. There, there, is, a, there is a huge temptation. Well, at work, and don't, I, I want you to know, some of industry's best practices can and should translate, but it is not a corporation. We cannot view everything through the lens of efficiency, We cannot see the church through the lens of being a corporate, American corporations. God's ways are not our ways. And here's something, and you're just going to have to bite this, chew on it and swallow it. Here it is. God's way is not the American way. God's way is not the American way. It's his way. God has had a will before the foundations of the world, long before any flag ever flew on this planet. Now, with all that being said, We're just going to read through this text, and we're going to kind of strip all the busyness from it. We're going to read it, allow some of our study to fill in the spaces here, and we will read it out loud because the ancient custom of reading out loud helps in our retaining this. And we'll take all of our preparation, and then we'll just allow the Holy Spirit to speak through his word as he sees fit because his ways are his ways, and we submit to that. I'll try not to color commentate too much because there's a lot here. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip on this mountaintop experience in the middle of a revival and said, get up and go south at noon, noon, <laughs> at noon, that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. And by the way, take the desert road and all that that entails. This is crazy talk. But rather than praying about it, Philip got up and went, immediately obeyed because obedient Christians are effective tools of evangelism in the hands of a sovereign God. And there was an Ethiopian un, a eunuch who was not even allowed to be a full uh, 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 proselyte because he can't even be, he can't even be, um, 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 what's it called? circumcised and he is a Gentile and he was an Ethiopian eunuch um, uh, he was a God-fearer of Yahweh an official in the, uh, for the queen of Ethiopia who was in charge of all of her money and he had come to Jerusalem to worship but why in the world the Lord didn't use the apostles there we know now 63% of Ethiopia claims to be Christian and this guy will be the first missionary and he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading from the prophet Isaiah because Isaiah spoke well of the future of eunuchs and the spirit said to Philip go up and join his chariot Philip fell on his knees and began to pray about it again no he ran up and heard you see following the Lord is has some action to it Philip ran up to him reading Isaiah the prophet and said do you understand what you are reading and he said well how could I unless someone guides me and he invited Philip up into that empty seat out of three to sit with him and his passage which he was reading was from the scroll of Isaiah, he was led like a sheep to slaughter, a lamb before the shear was silent. He does not open his mouth in humiliation. He did not receive justice. Who will relate to this generation where life was removed from this earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, please tell me of whom does this talk about? Is it about Isaiah or is it about someone else? And then Philip opened his mouth. Let that application from this morning fall in there. He opened his mouth. And beginning with Scripture, because all Scripture points to Jesus Christ. 
And they went along the road and they came to enough water that the eunuch said, look, water, why can't I get in that and be baptized? And Philip said, well, we're running a special 12-course program right now. No, as Don brought up. He kept it simple, silly. If you believe in all of your heart, you may. And he said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So Philip got out the baptismal certificate and got all the elders to sign it. And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, baptism, immersion. Philip as well as the eunuch. And he baptized them. What a beautiful picture that God's gospel is for all people as a Hellenistic Jew baptizes a, a, a castrated Gentile Ethiopian wasn't even an apostle who baptized him. The apostles didn't baptize him. A Hellenistic Jew named Philip baptized this guy. We ought not to be too tight-handed on the ministry as pastors. All right? We shouldn't hold on to ministry with white knuckles because it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And he came up out of the water and the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. Well, we could spend time on that. And the eunuch no longer saw him. But you want to know what? He was too busy rejoicing because joy is the dominant factor of a truly saved child of God. Philip found himself in the city that no one can pronounce. And he passed through and he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he made his home in Caesarea. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May it be meaningful in our lives. May it be deep theological truth, but practically applicable to our lives starting now. Father, may we always be people who pray and seek your will. But help us not to hide behind that, but to open our mouths and to get up and go right where you have us standing. Start with me. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.